Yes, thank you so much for doing this. Is this a very intensive promotion period for the book? Yes. Uh, well, um, we're just really gearing up now. This week is really when um, everything starts. We've done a couple of bits and pieces so far, but yeah, this week is pretty busy, and then next week will be will be very busy. Marvelous. Have you done anything with Rog and Davo? Not yet, but um, again, I think that's next week. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rog very kindly gave us a blurb for the book and did for our previous book also. So he's been he's been a good um, a good good friend. Yeah. Viri recte vestiti, the men who are smartly dressed, because there's no Latin for blazer. But every time yeah. I watch them, so my dad lives in New York now, and so he's into the NBC coverage. When I yep. go over, or certainly at the very beginning of what the men in blazers were doing, I enjoyed what they were doing, and they've got it so right. If we launched in the UK uh, a sort of Manning Brothers fan cam, we're going to have to poach men in blazers back, unless that is what James Corden is planning to do when yeah. he comes back next year. <laughs> yeah, could be. James Corden, Mark Noble together or something. Yeah, Brilliant. Um like you say, they totally nailed it. Yeah, hats off to them. But what happens on the 25th of November at 7 p.m. GMT, 2 p.m. Eastern, when the USA plays England. I'm going to have to get used to this because I'm t- when you write American copy, it teams take a singular, not a plural. That's right. So does that mean you are going to refer to Real Madrid as a singular entity or a mass noun, a plural? Yes. Yeah, so in our in our day jobs for the Wall Street Journal, yes, we 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 say Real Madrid was or Real Madrid is rather than than are, which uh, took a long time to get used to, uh, especially as it's sort of weirdly unique to soccer. Most American sports teams have plural names like the Raiders, the Yankees, yeah. whatever. So they'll take they'll take the um, they take the plural. Uh, it took me years to get used to. Uh, now I'm so far ingrained that I think it would take years to get used to doing it the other way. But, so, so that's what it is. It takes the plural of the the team name. So Blackburn Rovers, when they won the title in '95, it won or yeah. they won. It won. So I think if you were saying you would say Blackburn Rovers were, you know, but if it's you know Arsenal, it would be was. Yeah, I think yeah. Rovers is a, is, a, is a sort of exception, but Liverpool, you know, Manchester United, Manchester City—they're all sort of seen as singular. I'm trying to think of any others apart from Rovers. That would be a good quiz question. Yeah, so I mean, you would say that the the Gunners are or the Hammers are or whatever, but but when it came to West Ham or Arsenal, you would use the singular. Um, while we've just got Jonathan Clex, uh, but Joshua is at the gates of the library. Uh, Joshua, who is a Columbia University graduate and has been covering the Carlson Neiman chess story. Is that why he's running late? Because there's a new twist. Might easily be. That story is absolutely bananas. There is news, crazy uh, stuff happening every single day. So it would not surprise me if he has uncovered some (laughs) other weird turn in that whole saga. Gee, it's just, it's berserk. Obviously, it, it's the kind of thing that, you like, Formula One has a Netflix series. Chess has the Queen's Gambit. It doesn't have a Netflix series of its own. Uh, in America, you'd call it Messi versus Ronaldo. One rivalry, two goats in the era that remade the world's game. But in Britain, of course, we say it's Messi and Ronaldo because when we have a court case, uh, the V stands for and. So um, I, I imagine you're calling it Messi versus Ronaldo. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, it, and it's yeah. out beginning of November. Yep. November 1st in the US and November 10th in the UK. I'm in Brooklyn. Josh is in, he is also in New York right now, 
but he lives in Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah he was in London for a long time, but moved to Paris. How are you? Hey! So, apologies for the delay. Bonjour, no, 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 uh, c'est pas mal. We kicked off just by talking about the men in blazers and how great they are. And I've just read out the title of this book. Now I've got both Jonathan Clegg and Joshua Robinson in the football library together to plug this book, Messi v Ronaldo. Can I just say that your book, The Club, is one of the, the best books I've ever read. I tore through it. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant summation of how rotten Premier League football was. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's very kind. And so I'm looking... Yeah. I'm looking forward to Messi v Ronaldo. Um, I'm going to trail a question. You've got 25 minutes to think about this. So have this percolating away. Are Messi and Ronaldo the goat of goats? So I don't want your answers now. You can show you're working at the end. But while we talk about <laughs> Messi v Ronaldo, the book, um, are they the goat of goats? Because goats is in the title of the book, greatest of all time. I mean, they're not even better than the Brazilian Ronaldo. Are they? Or are they? Where's your barometer for GOAT? Who have they overtaken as GOATs? I mean, I think they're right at the top. I mean, I think that they are in the sort of same rarefied air as Pelé, Maradona. And um, yes, that's it. That's the, that's the Mount Rushmore right there, I would imagine. Pelé, Maradona, um, Ronaldo and Messi. I suppose that Johan Cruyff wouldn't want to be in any club that accepts him as a member. But yep. um, Messi has had the Barsayax way um, in him. Ronaldo's influence is, it's very difficult to pinpoint who Ronaldo comes because he kind of invented footballer as Jim Bunny, didn't he? Was there anyone so obsessed with keeping fit before Ronaldo? Not, not on that level. And that's what's kind of amazing about him is that he realised that, you know, to succeed in modern football, it wasn't enough to, or... Rather, you know, you could go the artist route, but, you know, there was another way, and it wasn't the Cruyff way, and it wasn't the Maradona way. This was the 21st century super athlete way. And it's very much, you know, the counterpoint that, uh, you know, Rafa Nadal brought to, like, a Roger Federer. I think the the dynamic is sometimes similar. Um, But he understood that better than anyone else and made it his business to... uh, to turn himself into the super athlete that could last longer than anyone else. I mean, even if he's fading a bit now, but also adapt to, to any game, any type of game that was thrown at him. And the paperback issue of this book will obviously have the Portugal versus Argentina World Cup final that I believe, John, you'll be at. So you're going to Qatar. Have you got all the paperwork sorted? We're talking about a month before. Um, actually, no. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, paperwork should make work. Uh, we'll, we'll get that in care of. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this tournament, uh, uh, you know, World Cups are traditionally where we sort of welcome new breakout stars. But I feel like this tournament will be um, remembered as much as anything as a farewell to Messi and Ronaldo, to the two... Um, footballers who have, you know, dominated the, the the international landscape since, you know, the 2006 World Cup was when they both um, sort of broke onto the scene. So, yeah, that, I mean, that that would be just the absolute um, best possible ending um, for for them, for us as well. Um, is if is if those two teams met in the final, I could definitely see Argentina reaching the final. Not quite so sure Portugal will make it that far. Oh, so much can happen. I don't care. I mean, John, you're being paid to care. Joshua, do you care? Uh, who's in the final? Absolutely not. I'm just happy to be there. Oh, so you're going as well? Yes. Wicked. So you mean you're not going to be covering the Carlson-Neiman battle for a bit? 
Well, just for, you know, a temporary hiatus, but I can file on that from Doha as well. Oh, of course. Yeah, I bet there'll be chess fans there because I, I did check Wall Street Journal. Uh, you're both right there. Your byline is attached to this amazing, epic story. And it just made me think that there are sports where one star raises the other's game uh, and there are solo sports. But what I want to ask is that this first book, The Club, is about super clubs. Is it fair to say that this book is about the super player? Yeah, and I think I think together they work quite well because, you know, if the Premier League was really a triumph of club power, these two guys embodied uh, the era in which players became bigger than clubs. Uh, we saw we saw it with Messi in Barcelona, where Messi single-handedly put them on the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, we saw it with Cristiano, literally everywhere he's been, and you know we're seeing it now still with with Messi at PSG, where the entire project, you know, which is a state-backed enterprise to raise up the profile of Qatar, now revolves around the two biggest things in football, which are the World Cup. And Lionel Messi. It's absurd. And you, you go into the locker room and the boardroom. At this point, I care more about the boardroom than the locker room. And your constituent readers are the Wall Street traders who have probably been working at home for the last few years. With the boardroom, having going in and, and knowing that you've written the club and having the access that you did, which is in 2018, this book, astonishing access. I, I imagine your football colleagues will have been so envious that you got the people that you got for that book. Did you use that as leverage to get some quite high-powered interviewees for Messi and Ronaldo? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the you know the club kind of became our business card, yeah. um, and you know football is such a closed shop, and it's it's such a very a tight network of people that the same people keep cropping up everywhere. It's really quite extraordinary how you know one person who may have a connection to you know, a, a Premier League club also might have had a tie to Nike, which then ties you back to Barcelona and ties you back to Cristiano. It's it's those kinds of things. That it, it sometimes feels like there's only 20 people in football and they just keep bouncing from job to job. So, you know, once once you, we cracked some of that access for the club, it was we were sort of vouched for by a lot of people that, that put us in the bubble uh, with Messi and Ronaldo. Pretty much every sort of major development in world soccer in the last sort of 25 years has been influenced or informed by the Premier League and the giant success that that became. So even in this story, you know, when when Florentino Perez took over at Real Madrid, his um, his blueprint for how to turn that team into a winner was Manchester United. The, the, the Manchester United was a public company at that time. Its accounts were publicly available. And he you know, literally studied those accounts to, to try and figure out how he should turn Real Madrid, the club of, you know, FIFA's club of the 20th, 20th century, into a 21st century juggernaut. So the fact that the Premier League was so sort of pervasive in football during this time also really helped us because it, it sort of ended up being almost a character in this story um, as much as as the sort of clubs and executives that we were speaking to. Yeah, the supporting role. The book is Messi v. Ronaldo versus Ronaldo. One rivalry, two goats, and the era that remade the world's game. So, starting small with the title. Um, this uh, It's not the first book about Cristiano and Leo. There was one with that title by Jimmy Burns. A, did you read it? B, did you speak to Jimmy? C, did you meet the same sources? No, no, and no. 
<laughs> I'll clip that up. I'll use that as a kind of jingle. <laughs> this uh, are you watching yeah, the World no, Cup? Uh, no, no, and no. We did. I did not. We did not read that book. Although um, I have read um, Jimmy Burns' Maradona book, yeah. and he's fantastic. And I do not believe that we spoke to the same sources. Um, as we already mentioned, you know, we were lucky enough to be put in touch with a lot of the. Um, sort of people right at the very top of this story um, through our work on the club. Um, and so we sort of feel like, um, you know, the, the, the boardrooms and the sort of corridors of power of football, um, such as they are, are like our space where we sort of tend to operate. And so, um, you know, I feel like the access that we got there is, is pretty much unmatched. You know, this book is lucky enough that we, we sort of, uh, this comes out at what is clearly the sort of tail end of their careers you know this they both have said that this will be their last world cup um you don't you know, have to follow the premier league very closely to know that um cristiano ronaldo's um time as a peak performer and elite athlete are uh, basically over and so i think that uh, enabled us to get a lot of the sort of sweep and scope that um attempts to write this book earlier um in their in their sort of dual careers uh, might have missed. I also think that the um, the fact that we were able to include um, the Super League, uh, the botched attempt to form a Super League in this book, um, is a sort of key aspect because in many ways, I think the um, that was the sort of culmination of the Messi-Ronaldo era and any sort of treatment of their two careers that, that didn't include the attempt by, um, you know, a Barcelona and Real Madrid-led attempt to create a Super League would have sort of missed that key aspect of their sort of legacy on football. Hmm. Yes, the legacy they leave is um, shown in the statistics. So something that went through my mind as I was thinking about what to ask you to try and make me stand out from the 700 interviews you're going to do about this book. I mean, you'll be sick of them. You will be as sick of Messi and Ronaldo as a central defender will be. Uh, but it's objectivity and subjectivity. We know the data. We can see what they do. But the subjectivity of it, the way you feel watching them, were you thinking of that, uh, Josh, throughout writing this book? You admire what they've done, but also how they do it. Of course. And, and that's what we found. One of the things that was most interesting to us in, in doing this, because it, this isn't the debate of Messi versus Ronaldo grew so much and so far beyond their control that it ceased to become just a football debate. How you feel about them, how they make you feel, and which one you prefer says a lot about how you view not just football, but sports and almost the world at large. You know, do you believe in, you know, do you side with artistry? Do you side with the pure graft of hard work? Um, and it's it was really interesting to us in the reporting, and this is totally anecdotal, but, you know, so many football fans instinctively side with Messi because he makes the impossible uh, look routine. But so many other players side with Ronaldo because they almost can't, conceive of what Messi does so they see Ronaldo as the peak of what is possible the peak of achievement if you just work hard enough you can be like Cristiano is it a bit I'm in the middle of writing something which effectively puts the play Amadeus in a local government setting is there stuff about Mozart and Salieri that we can map onto it someone who's naturally gifted somewhat autistic some may say and I may ask about that or I may not um, and someone who works very, 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 very hard and is still in the shadow and has won one fewer by on door. I don't think 
anyone would ever argue that Cristiano is uh, in the shadow. He's the most followed person ever on Instagram. We're talking about half a billion uh, social media followers. He's probably one of the most famous people ever to walk the earth. So I think I think Salieri might have, uh, you know, it slept a little bit easier and uh, in his asylum towards the end of his life if uh, he had the kind of recognition that Cristiano had. And that that's not to say uh, Messi has outlived Mozart. They both have. Uh, they're both. Are they 35, 37 now? I, I lose track of their age. That's, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I do think that's, I do, I do think that, that, that the Amadeus point is, you know, exactly what Josh was getting at. Like, do, do you appreciate, do you value, do you, you know, give greater recognition to the, the genius to whom everything comes naturally or the striver who has grafted for everything he's achieved, you know? And, and I think, as Josh said, that your response to that says something about your outlook on life, the world, your, your philosophy, and probably determines which of the, you know, which side of the Messi-Ronaldo debate you'll come down on. Well, I'm Iniesta, as I, I bore people with saying, who's the best Iniesta? Though that could change if Messi scores in Doha, if funnier things have happened. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer has written books about Messi and Ronaldo. Did you talk to Guillaume? I think one of the things we try to do is not talk to other journalists and go f- focus on sort of the source materials and, you know, people who uh, actually are actors in the story rather than other people who chronicled it. So whom did you... Sp- good answer. Whom did you speak to and who was your biggest surprise? Uh, I think we one of the sort of series of interviews we had a lot of fun with was tracking down people who'd played with Messi at La Masia. You know, in, in that Generation 87 team, which was the boys born in 1987, uh, there were four boys who were really supposed to make it, and they all played together. And it was Messi, Cesc Fabregas, Gerard Piquet, and a fourth kid named Victor Vasquez, who was in that class, uh, but tore his knee around the age of 18 and, and sort of didn't have the same trajectory as the others wound up in MLS, which is where we found him. But, you know, getting some of those guys, you know, including Fabregas and Vasquez, to tell us the stories of 13-year-old Messi absolutely fuming when he was, you know, when other people scored more goals than he did and beating other teams of uh, of kids 25 and 30 now, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, stuff that we hadn't really grasped before about Messi being this frothing competitive monster as a kid. I remember that story about his team just conceded a goal and the goalkeeper drops the ball at his feet and Messi beats a whole team on his own just through anger. He's a, he's great at what he does and uh, I always admire, I've never seen him in the flesh. I have seen, have I seen, I haven't seen either of them in the flesh. How many times have you both seen them live and what impresses you about what they do on and off the ball? Because Messi, where did I read this? He stands there for about two minutes just mapping the pitch. That's right. His economy of movement, some might say, <laughs> laziness. But yeah, his economy of movement is is astonishing to watch. Um, it's something that, that, that I think sort of became more pronounced as his career went on. We, we've seen Messi and Ronaldo play dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Josh and I have been lucky enough to have covered... European soccer for the Wall Street Journal um, since 2009 between us. So, you know, our careers at the Journal, our careers covering um, soccer really overlapped with the um, peak Messi-Ronaldo era. And to cover European soccer at that time, to follow the Champions League, uh, was to to witness Messi-Ronaldo, you know, rack up trophies year after year after year. Yeah, so Messi's, um, you you know, that, that, that... that thing he does where he just sort of stands 
mills around in the center circle for sort of minutes at a time before you know springing into action um is yeah quite remarkable to behold I, I, like i say something that definitely became more pronounced as his career became as his career went on he, he he definitely sort of developed this knack for knowing when he had to you know bust a gut and when he could just sort of um take it easy mm. um his his like you say his reading of the game is just a testament to his reading of the game that he he sort of knows exactly when to do when to do that ronaldo like obviously is, is completely different but you know to see him in the flesh is 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 you know what it's all about i mean you know to 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 look at him he he just to 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 see him play is to see every hour he's spent in the gym every you know night he's spent in the ice tub um he he is just a a a physical um adonis what's portuguese for adonis Um, yeah yeah he's a physical marvel even now even you know we went to see um the last time we saw ronaldo play was before before filing the book was uh the world cup qualifier that portugal in which portugal placed played north macedonia to book their spot in the final and even then at 37 um you know still absolutely astonishing um physical specimen yeah he he really doesn't look like other footballers you know mm. some guys may be bigger or taller or now quicker but the the care he's taken to remain in peak physical condition is is something that we know takes you know incredible commitment that even other professional athletes don't have and it's such a shame that their careers seem to end in sinecures messi left barcelona having bankrupted them simon cooper told the story it's quite outrageously in his book uh, barca um and i i mean i imagine that you um mention it in this book the off the pitch stuff but he's he's in paris in a city, uh, along with Neymar and Mbappe, uh, and Ronaldo can't even get a game at Man United because he doesn't press, which is a, again a very cack-handed way of saying he's 37 and he's playing in, a, in an Eric Ten Hag team. Is it sunset or twilight? Well, perhaps the better question is, what are they going to do when they retire? They can't just count their money, but equally they can't be pundits either. I think so much of what we've learned with high-powered athletes kind of achieve that level of fame is there that there are two models there's one which is the younger model of like advocating for causes you believe in but they're very much of a of an older school which is be a bill you know in order to be a billboard the sponsors have to be able to project whatever they want on you so it's in their interest to stay quite quiet and we you know it was really notable around the collapse of the super league that the two guys who have defined this era and in many ways you know created the conditions for the super league to exist stayed entirely silent throughout the whole episode while the premier league captains were signing letters saying this isn't how football should be we never heard from uh, messi or ronaldo so I think I think they'll continue to be quieter than you know many other athletes than maybe your you know your Federers or your Serenas, but equally you know I do see a future certainly in which Messi is pressed into emergency services Argentina manager at some point. They did it with Maradona. Yeah, that, that's nailed on. Yeah, I mean I think if you look at the, if you look at the only footballer who sort of reached anywhere close to their level of global fame. Then it's David Beckham, and 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 that might be 
the sort of ownership route might be the way that they go also. That seems to me like, like you say, I, I, I struggle to see either of them, you know, prowling the sidelines as a manager, mostly because Ronaldo already did that in the Euro 2016 final. Of course. Um, yeah. uh, but I could see, you know, some sort of um, team ownership um, situation. Yeah, United are for sale. I'd love to see Michael Richards and Cristiano Ronaldo. I just think Michael Richards, whose, whose memoir is on the shelves, both at the Football Library and for sale, this book, Messi versus Ronaldo, one rivalry, two goats, and the era that remade the world's game. Uh, has Sam Walker had a read through it? And what would Sam Walker do if he was overseeing uh, a Messi versus Ronaldo book? Uh, did you speak to Sam just to, to see if you were on the right lines again? You, you uh, mentioned him in the acknowledgments of the club. This is, this is our former editor at, at WSJ Sports. Uh, I think this, the Sam approach might have been to say, can we say that maybe some other guy was better than both of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, um, Sam basically taught us, certainly taught me how to write. So every sentence that I wrote in this book basically owes a debt to Sam. But yeah, he, he would have come up with some crazy crazy take on, on Messi Ronaldo, for sure. These are the people that we, we don't know about as readers. I read a lot of Rory Smith, uh, who is uh, a New York, New York Times rival, uh, and he writes brilliantly and always has done. He's got a book called Expected Goals, which is out as well. Um, the people who edit you and who kind of push you, you to lead the horse to water and let you drink and have the byline, the ones that aren't bylined, but what is their role? Because you say they teach you how to write. What does that mean? Like leads and paras and getting quotes? I mean, how has he taught you how to write, John? Uh, obviously, I, I was, I'd already been employed by the journal when I met Sam. So I thought I kind of knew what I was doing. But, I mean, in all honesty, he, he, would, um, he would take a pretty heavy hand to the stories that I filed in the early days. Um, and I would, you know, spend a lot of time getting all the, doing all the reporting, knocking the story into what I thought was pretty good shape. Um, I would send it to Sam. He would send it to me back several hours later, com- looking completely different. <laughs> a lot of time, the only parts that I really recognized were the quotes that I got from people's mouths. But it, it crackled, it sparkled, and, and, and it read so much better that, that after a while, I sort of gradually realized what he was trying to teach me and um, adopted in, in many ways a lot of sort of Sam's tricks. You know, once he'd got me to write exactly like he did, he was a lot happier with my copy. So that's sort of pretty much how that went. I, I suppose if I were to read this book, because this is well known, they're, they're two of the most written about people, certainly in the back pages, perhaps ever. Perhaps only the former president uh, is more written about than them. But yes, the prose that comes off the page again, the club, the pros of the club, amongst the Randy Lerner selling Aston Villa at a loss, which is still the saddest thing I've ever read, apart from death or pestilence. It just I felt so sorry for Randy Lerner. Have you sent him a copy of this book, maybe to cheer him up? Uh, he, he'll be getting one. Excellent. I, I wanted to ask about the Saudi Arabian takeover and Jamal Khashoggi, but I don't think we'll have time for that. But have you been asked to update the club or will you update the club with the European Super League and the Saudi uh, takeover of Newcastle, or is that it now? I think what the club provided was a sort of snapshot in time. Yeah. Um, there's an argument that we could update the club, you know, every year for, for, for the you know for the next sort of 20 years. But I, I think what we sort of really tried to do with that was provide a snapshot in time of the Premier League at um, you know 25 years old, 
and all the sort of changes and, and things that have been won and things that have been lost along the way, I, I think it sort of stands, it, it stands apart and it will sort of stand uh, the test of time as like uh, what we what we set out to do was sort of yeah, provide this sort of definitive take on, on, on the Premier League's first 25 years. So I don't think that sort of updating it is, is really what we're, we're looking to do. Everything that's laid out in the, Premier, in the club kind of explains what happened in the Premier League subsequently. So it does give you give a reader a framework for understanding Saudi Arabia and Newcastle, for understanding uh, the, the tensions of the Super League. So it's, it's one of those things where even if those events aren't included in it, if you've read the club, you understand how to think about them. Yeah, I mean, the final chapter of the club basically laid out the blueprint for the Super League that was coming. So, I, you know, I don't feel like it takes a lot of reading between the lines there to figure out what, what's going on. No, and, and Josh, you live in Paris. If I had time, I'd ask you about PSG, which um, some fans are fed up. Uh, so you can't have everything because uh, you just want more and you can't have more than everything. So about 25 minutes ago, I teased what I was going to close with. Uh, the book is out in Britain on November the 10th. Uh, I imagine you'll be pressing the flesh in Qatar and have, journalists will be reading it on their journey over to Qatar. So you might see it on a plane. I had that with Michael Wolfe once. I got on a train and Michael Wolfe sat next to me and I was reading his book about Trump, which was fun. But Messi and Ronaldo, the goat of goats, because I'm fascinated. Who is the goatiest of all the goats? If Messi and Ronaldo are the goat, the greatest footballers, where do they rank amongst other great sporting heroes? So have you had a think about that? It's, you know, the, in terms of goats of goats, I think you do have to consider that football is by far the most popular sport on the planet and nothing else even comes close. So that, that does raise their case. You know, it, it makes a pretty good case uh, to begin with that, you know, that they're in a different class than than a Djokovic or a Federer or Nadal, for instance. Then you can make the argument about what they've won and what they haven't won. There are a lot of people, to bring up Federer again, who would make him the goat of tennis, even though he's now third in the all-time Grand Slam list. So, you know, if we're measuring instead on how they make people feel and how many people they make feel that way, I think they're, they're certainly up there. And I, I don't know who else might be in that side, that have, have that same kind of reach. Uh, to match with their achievement. Yeah, I think I think we can safely say that the single entity Messi Naldo is the goat of goats. Ah, very good. Do you write that in the book, or is is this something that's just come to you? That was just that's free for just for you. That just occurred to me right this second. So, oh, we're gonna thank you. Well, you're doing a lot of press for this. So, Messi Naldo, <laughs> they would hate that. They would really, it's like a push-me-pull-you. They would loathe being smushed together. Like Benifer or Jedward. That is the last <laughs> time Jedward has been. Messi Naldo. Um, their rivalry, you write, is an industry and a microcosm of the modern game. Is it just because of everything has to have an argument? We can't just accept Messi is great at this, Ronaldo is great at this. They're both Messi Naldo is great. So it's the, it's in the context of the times, right? Yeah, exactly. I think the fact that... that... Their um, rise coincided with the rise of social media. It tells you everything that you need to know about that. Just, just, just like everything else in the world, we can no longer, you know, just appreciate things. And there has to be a this is this is better or this is better. Well, it's good for you because any conversation is good publicity. So around this book, um, there'll be a lot of social media nonsense. But the book is the book and exists as a book and a discussion. Uh, and something to talk about in Qatar with football fans of all stripes. So will you get to go out in the field and actually talk to fans or are you just going to be bussed 
from stadium to stadium? I think we'll have to just to avoid going insane because there's not going to be that much to do in Qatar besides uh, go to games. So we'll, we'll definitely be getting out and about and encountering whoever happens to be there. I look forward to that. I think a WSJ online subscription is very affordable for the next few months. Can you do the spiel? Is it like a dollar, a dollar a week? I think that's right. I think there's an election deal. So now is the time to get on board for for all our stories from Qatar and also Josh's numerous stories about the bananas chess going on. Indeed. And um, also something to something to do with the midterm elections, blah, 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 politics. Uh, Messi versus Ronaldo. One rivalry, two goats, and the era that remade the world's game, a follow-up to the club. And if this new book's anything like the first one, it will sell so well. And it'll, I don't know, it'll help Evie go through school. <laughs> Let's hope so. Something's got it. <laughs> Just like the library! Just like the library!